We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Guidance is internal. Ignition sequence starts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Permission to board, please. Permission to come aboard. Permission to board. Permission to board. Do I have some permission to board that sweet mothership? This is the Permission Granted Podcast. Here's DA. Welcome inside the freshest edition of the Permission Granted Podcast, everybody. This is your Bracketology edition of the Permission Granted Podcast. Thanks so much. As always, you can download us by going to the Permission Granted Podcast on iTunes or searching Permission Granted. It's also available on the DA Show iTunes feed, also available on Facebook every week, facebook.com slash the DA Show. Like the show page. Also go to our Twitter page. We tweet it out every week as well, DA on CBS. This is the show within the show, but this time of year we do our annual bracket breakdown with a guy that knows more about college basketball than just about anybody else I know. You heard him throughout the two weeks of Olympic coverage as our Olympic correspondent. We were not wealthy enough or had deep enough pockets from sponsors to actually pay for him to go to South Korea, but we had him in front of his TV and giving us his correspondence every single morning as Super Dave on the Olympics. Dave Friedman, who moonlights as the voice of the Winthrop Eagles, joining us for the annual Super Dave bracket breakdown long form. The only place we could do this would be the PGP. Curling. Bob Sled. That thing with a gun on skis. Here's a triple flip. Nicely done. The DA Show is watching 2,400 hours of coverage so you don't have to. Here at Porchevelle, the final round of the Lodge Hill jumping. The battle of the teenagers is reaching its climax. It's Super Dave's best of the Winter Olympics. It's going to come down to style, I think. Dave, good morning. Good morning, DA. It's a pleasure to get demoted from the radio show back to the podcast. Well, you're kind of like one of those two-way players with the G League. Now we can move you up, move you down, <laughs> a little bit of both. I mean, I, I, I know the digital space is getting big. I'm, I'm hoping to get on uh, Nomad at some point, and, and I'm, just, I'm just filling content, and, I, and I've got lots and lots of it. So really, we would have had to dedicate the entire show to the bracket today, and, and I understand that there are some people that think other things are going on, though I'm not entirely clear what they are. I agree, and so I wanted to go long form with you. Every year that we get to do this, we get to, de- we get to dig deeper into it than just going the superficial question-answer type of route that normally an interview runs on on sports radio. So I want to start with this. You have called games in the Southern Conference, or the Big South rather, for quite a while now. And so you know the team, the programs there. You know that level of, of athletes and the potential tournament bracket busters. Is there a low major or mid-major team that you circle that you've seen in person? You go, that team's a legitimate squad. 
You know, it's an interesting year in that regard, because at the beginning of the year, I really liked Nevada, but they've run into significant injury trouble. Jordan Caroline and Lindsey Drew are both hurt, and I think that kind of takes the magic away from a school like that that otherwise very easily could have been in the Sweet 16. No one was talking about Davidson before last week, and all of a sudden, they're playing well down the stretch. They get hot in the tournament. They win a couple of games on national TV, and now people are talking about them. People should always talk about Davidson. Bob McKillop is one of the best coaches in the country. He recruits players to his system, and what they do is they play the beautiful game. They are unbelievable passing the ball. They never foul. They don't commit turnovers. They nail a bunch of threes, and they can absolutely beat Kentucky. Interesting. So you think Davidson's the five twelve is alive in that matchup against the Wildcats. Uh, even though Kentucky came on great at the end of the season, ended up winning the SEC championship out of the tournament. I know that the perception is that the SEC was much improved this year. I think Kentucky probably is the best team out of the league, but I thought the league was kind of fair. I think their teams are overseeded. I think there are too many of them, and I respect Kentucky and their program. I don't love them. And if they don't stop the three-pointer, and that's really what Kentucky does defensively. They're very good against the three. So you have a great offensive team that gets open threes and hits them versus a team that defends the three really well. Usually good offense beats good defense. I'm not saying Davidson's a stone-cold lock. Do I think they have an opportunity? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely do. And New Mexico State is a fascinating story. I mean, third coach in three years to lead them to the NCAA tournament. I think they've been to the tournament now seven times in the last nine years, maybe the best program that no one's ever heard of. And they do it by big boying you. They play defense and they rebound and they go to the offensive glass and they've got a 20 point a game score in Zach Lofton. And I like Brad Brunell a lot. I like the way Clemson plays, but again, they're not at full strength. Dante Grantham was a player that maybe was good enough to take them to the Sweet 16. So you're playing shorthanded. New Mexico State can play with them. And Chris Jans is a really, really good coach. You might remember he was an assistant at Wichita State. He was a very, very successful junior college coach, and he got the job at Bowling Green, got in a uh, incident at a bar, got fired at Bowling Green, went back to Wichita State, kind of was like an extra advisor, an extra person there, and then got the job at New Mexico State. And what do you know? Here he is back in the big dance. So those are two five twelves. Dave's has you looking at 12 Davidson over 5 Kentucky, then 12 New Mexico State over 5 Clemson. We had John Rothstein from CBS Sports say the same thing about New Mexico State. He really liked them as well, knock it off Clemson. What was the details of the incident at the bar? Um, kind of improper conduct when drinking too much. Ah, uh, that tends Go- to happen, doesn't it? Go- Google it, DA. Uh, there's some video, and it oh. probably doesn't portray Chris Jans in the most positive light. Oh, okay. All right. A-10, we were talking about Davidson. So they were actually the third best team in the regular season of the A-10. Both Rhode Island and St. Bonaventure get into the tournament as at-larges. Rhode Island's in there safely as the number seven. They take on Trey Young and Oklahoma in the first round. Did you think 
that Oklahoma deserved to be in after I think they lost 11 in their final 14. Yeah, I didn't. But that point you just brought up is not a factor in the NCAA selection committee. It was 5, 10, 15 years ago. What you did down the stretch is not something that they use, so that doesn't count against them. That's why Arizona State's in the bracket. They won some really good games in November and December. They haven't been good since then. It doesn't matter. Wins are wins these days. It doesn't matter when they take place. Oklahoma is not a particularly talented team. They have one of the best players in the country in Trey Young, who's also incredibly erratic, takes bad shots, and turns the ball over. But he averages 27 points a game and he can put you on their back. I think Rhode Island is the better basketball team. You know, when the committee, though, says that they don't take that into account about what you did early in the season versus late in the season, do we really believe it? I mean, is Kentucky a five seed if they don't rattle off those wins down the stretch of the season and look really good going through the SEC tournament? I mean, the advanced analytics, the... Ken Palm numbers and the Sagarin numbers tell us that Kentucky is a top 15 or a top 20 team, and therefore they're either seated correctly or they're more like a three or a four than a five. So I, I don't know. Um, Kentucky's not my favorite team in the bracket by any stretch, but their seating is somewhere in the neighborhood of correct. I thought it was dubious that Syracuse got in. I did not think they had a good enough body of work. I thought they had to beat North Carolina in the ACC tournament. They did not. But by virtue of going on the road to Miami, getting a win, Hurricanes are a good team. By virtue of getting the win at home over Clemson on the final Sunday, I suppose those were the turning points. And then I look at USC that was the second-best team in the Pac-12 of the regular season and the second-best team in the tournament losing in the championship final. Did it seem to you that you should have swapped, if Syracuse was the last team in, that USC should have been the last team in and SU should have been out? Not really. I mean, Jim Beheim does something that a lot of people don't. When you conduct an interview on the air, they often think an interviewer, a radio personality, that it's all about their voice, when in fact the most important thing to do in an interview is to listen and then follow up. Well, Jim Beheim heard for 12 months that the problem with his team over the last several years was his out-of-conference schedule, and he listened, and then he scheduled better. So he lost to St. Bonaventure, but St. Bonaventure is good, and he could walk away and say, we played in the best or the second-best conference, and we were competitive, maybe more than competitive. Yeah, we lost some games we shouldn't have, certainly Georgia Tech and, and Wake Forest, but we also have a couple of pretty good wins, and we just don't have any really atrocious, terrible non-conference losses, and we played the 16th-best non-conference out-of-conference schedule. Do I think that should be the criteria? Not necessarily. Did they play the game and understand what was going to count in the end? Yeah, they did. So I agree with you. Syracuse had a much better non-conference schedule than ever before, specifically because they played Kansas. But they lost to Kansas, and they lost to St. Bonaventure. Those were their two non-conference losses. What was their best non-conference win? Over Maryland that didn't make the tournament? Over UConn that's going to fire its coach? Right. So one of my favorite teams in the country that's not in the bracket is St. Mary's. And St. Mary's is in just an 
awful situation. They play in a glorified high school gym, and they don't have the resources to buy three or four games, so they can't really schedule well. So this year, they scheduled a non-exempt tournament, neutral site, in November or December, and they lost to an SEC team and a Pac-12 team. Obviously, you're hoping to win both. You're hoping to split those two games. But even though they lost to two teams that ended up being bad, Georgia and Washington State, they still were ranked in the top 15 in the country down the stretch in February, yet they lose to San Francisco on the road, and they lose to BYU in the tournament, and they're not there. Syracuse and Oklahoma and Alabama they get the conference tournament to build their resume. Middle Tennessee State and St. Mary's walk this fine line where the conference tournament's a killer. Either you win or you go home and watch the tournament on TV. I kind of like this idea, and I totally agree with you there. I just don't know how you really argue that Syracuse's non-conference schedule should have gotten them in because they didn't beat any of the good teams on their non-conference, but they did play them. But here's what I I thought was an interesting idea. What do you think about if you win your regular season to be advanced directly into the final? Yeah, I like that because that splits the difference. Right. I've heard the you win your regular season title and you go to the dance, but then you get rid of the conference tournaments, which is the only time you're on national TV and the only way those conferences make any money. I mean, when you look at the various ways that small conferences hold their tournaments – There are only two appropriate ways to do it. Either you have to reward teams with buys or all the way to the finals or however you're going to go about doing it in that manner, or you have to give them home court advantage because otherwise the regular season is meaningless. Right. So I would love to, let's say in the Big South where you call games for Winthrop, if UNC Asheville like this year wins the regular season, I think they have to hold the tournament at UNC Asheville and UNC Asheville has to have a buy directly into the championship game. I think that's kind of fair. Yeah, I mean, that's really bold because what happens if the regular season ends with three teams tied at 12 and 6? Now you're going to use a tiebreaker that might go all the way down to something as arbitrary as RPI, and you're going to give both the hosting and that buy. I think you need to do one of the two. Either if you host a tournament and you lose it on your home court, that's on you. Or you get that buy. I think that works too. I kind of like what you're saying about the buy all the way to the title. I don't I don't think any conference does that. There are teams that give double buys. I don't think anyone goes all the way into the final game. Yeah, I think it just it protects these low-major and mid-major conferences that, as you said, it stinks because it's all or nothing. I mean, we have the, the mid-major coaches come on all the time, and they could have an amazing regular season, go 14-2, and 15-1, and 12-2, whatever it is in the regular season, have this great run, they got one bad game in their conference tournament and they got to play in the NIT, you know, and that yeah, just that, stinks. And so if that game, at least if that loss was the championship game of the tournament, you yeah. know, I would feel a little bit more fair. Well, and there's an argument that the reason Middle Tennessee State is out is not because they lost in their tournament, but they lost to a bad team in the quarterfinals. If you advance someone all the way to the championship game, even if they lose, maybe that loss is to a better team, and therefore it doesn't look like such a black and blue mark on their resume. Right. Did you feel, sounded like a lot of mid-majors felt like they got screwed. Did you feel like this was unfairly tilted towards the major conferences, this field of 68? 
it always is. So I don't think that comes off as any sort of surprise. I'm really glad St. Bonaventure got in. I think they're highly deserving and very capable. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it always works out that way. That That's just nothing new. What's the best low major team? I don't think we would put Davidson as a low major. What's the best low major team that you see in the field? Um. I mean, if you want someone worse than a 12, you're looking for a 14, 15, 16, that sort of team, maybe Stephen F. Austin. Um, if you're looking for like a 12, like we talked about, New Mexico State, Montana is not totally without hope. They're a long shot, but not impossible. I was kind of impressed by Wright State in their tournament, and they're playing a Tennessee team that I think is a little bit suspect. Um, what do you think about UNC Greenville? Oh, Greensboro, yeah, rather. Yeah, Greensboro is good, but I think Gonzaga's one of the five best teams in the country. Really? So, oh, absolutely. Wow, I mean, they're a four seed, and you got them as a top five team in the country. Yeah, I think they're really, really good. I mean, what is it that Gonzaga does that you don't like? Like, what is the weakness on their team? No, they're pretty balanced. You're right, they're pretty balanced. I mean, I guess it's it's the old problem for them is that they don't get tested enough in their conference and so it's hard to know where they stack up against power teams i mean but they were good enough in the non-conference that the advanced analytics think they're a top 10 team they shoot the ball well they rebound the ball well they play good defense they've got six guys that average double figures I think they're really, really good, are going to be an incredibly difficult out. So, yes, Wes Miller and UNCG had a really good year. I just think they are running into the wrong team. I'd much prefer them running into Auburn, who, quite frankly, isn't very good. So it's interesting. I, I tend to agree that they were underseeded at just a four because they're a top-10 team in the country. They're non-conference wins this year. They beat Ohio State, which is a really good win. Ohio State's a five seed in the tournament. Texas got into the tournament. They beat them in overtime as well. They beat Creighton, which was huge, obviously. And Creighton's also in the NCAA tournament. So they've got some good wins there. But why do you think then the committee made them a four seed if they're a top 10 team and, in your mind, a top five team? because they played in the WCC, where St. Mary's was not declared one of the 68 best teams. BYU was pretty good or okay, and everyone else was, you know, just not a top whatever the magic number is, 75 or 100 team. It's the same reason that Wichita State couldn't get a decent seat until they left the the Valley. I mean, you just, you just can't get a good seat from that conference unless you're just absolutely ridiculous. And Wichita State ended up as a four seed as well this year, and maybe this wasn't Greg Marshall's best version of the Shockers, but them moving to the American clearly paid dividends, right? Because, I mean, this season, even if it wasn't great that they get a four seed, that would have never happened had they stayed in the Valley. Yeah, it's a combination of two things. They play in a much, much better league that gets a lot more respect and is on TV a lot more, and they played a pretty tough non-conference schedule. So the fact that they didn't win all of those games, I mean, they played in Maui, they played Oklahoma, they played Oklahoma State. They are, if nothing else, battle-tested. I like Xavier. I think they're balanced. I love Chris Mack, but I think North Carolina is the best team in that region, and I know that UNC can be a little up and down at times, but, man, the way they get out in transition, the way that Roy has them pushing offensively, the way that they can finish with multiple guys, multiple forwards and big men, multiple guards on that end, 
I feel like UNC is going to be a bad matchup for Xavier if they meet up in the Elite Eight. What do you think about Xavier as the one, UNC as the two, Michigan as the three? I like North Carolina. I've liked them for six or seven weeks. I think we are overdoing them because what we have seen most recently, they've been very, very good of late. Xavier does a lot of things you like. They score and they rebound. How can you not like that? I think Gonzaga is the best team in that bracket. I think Gonzaga will go to the Final Four. I think they will have to play two or three very, very difficult games to get there. I think North Carolina's path is actually more difficult than Gonzaga's path because Gonzaga is going to play an Ohio State team that I think is overachieving, whereas North Carolina lines up to play either Houston or Michigan, both of which are very good, and then has to beat Xavier or Gonzaga. There's never been a 116 upset, obviously, but we have had 215s. I don't know if we're going to have a 215 this year, but this has been a weird type of college basketball season. Number one team has gone down multiple times. I don't know if there's a great team out there. Let's look at the 15s. Cal State Fullerton taking on number two Purdue. Georgia State taking on two-seed Cincinnati. Lipscomb take it on two seed North Carolina. Iona take it on two seed Duke. Is there a 15 that's live? Sure, because everyone's live, because that's what makes college basketball better than every other sport. Cinderella <laughs> has a chance. It doesn't work in any other sport. In college football, you can go undefeated and you don't get to be a part of the bracket. And even if you're, you know, a fan of the worst team in the NFL, you still have a hundred million dollar salary to spend. Whereas in college basketball, anything is possible. I think there are two ways to look at the two versus 15s. Are you going to pick out the team that you think is the worst number two seed and try to beat them? Or are you going to look at the other 15s and go, okay, which of these teams do I really like? Well, we can start eliminating very easily. North Carolina is a really good two, and Lipscomb is not a particularly good 15. So we can suck that one. I personally am very, very high on Purdue, and the Big West just wasn't good this year, so I'll chuck Cal State Fullerton. That leaves either Iona or Georgia State. And while I have a great deal of respect for Tim Cluis. Iona somehow finds a way to make the tournament every year. They're going to try to beat Duke by doing what Duke does. Those are both high-scoring teams, and it's going to be hard to beat Duke at their game. And that leads us to Georgia State. And I actually have great affinity for Cincinnati. They kind of play the way I prefer, defense and toughness and rebounding and all those things. But we've seen Ron Hunter fall off the chair and win before, (laughs) and the, the the numbers tell you they're the best of the 15 seeds. They're really good defensively. Cincinnati's really good defensively. Would it surprise anyone if this is a six-point game with eight or nine minutes to go? No. And then all of a sudden, the entire arena is cheering for Georgia State, and everyone on TV is tuning in, and now you've got something. So they've also got a guy that scores over 20 points a game. That would be the one if I were to pick one. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. I got to say, a couple of years ago when we did this, wasn't Georgia State your upset special when they finally did break through and Ron Hunter fell off his chair? Weren't you high on them that year? 
I was. I was. But but that like it tends to be where I try to pick high seed teams I don't like as opposed to just looking at the low majors or the, the mid majors. So like this year, Texas Tech and Stephen F. Austin. I kind of like Stephen F. Austin. I don't love them, but I like the way they play and I don't really like Texas Tech. I can't say that about Cincinnati. I like Georgia State a little bit, but I really, really like Cincinnati. So do you like Virginia style then as well? You love you like pack line defense and low scoring games and tough rebounding? Yeah. I mean, Virginia and Cincinnati, if they play in the Elite Eight, will be the lowest rated, most boring game for ninety five percent of the country, and I will be salivating. I might drive to Atlanta, it's about four hours from where I live in Charlotte, to watch those teams play first to forty wins, but they play with a toughness, with a grit, they rebound, they defend. Uh, I love that. So, <laughs> Defense I, travels, DA. I know it you does. Know, I just don't like watching don't it. about shooting. Some days, you don't hit shots. You, if you're a really good shooting team, but that's all you do, you now have to hit shots against a good defensive team six games in a row to win the national title. There's no excuse for a Virginia or a Cincinnati, those defensive-minded teams, to ever play their C-minus or D game. You're always going to get a B from them. Well, in an era where there's no unbelievable team and a lot of teams are inconsistent, that's why Virginia is the number one seed in the country because they bring their defense every single game and that keeps them in every single game. And, oh, by the way, they tempo you, so they play their game, which takes a lot of teams out of their game. That's very effective when there's no monster team out there. Totally agree. That that might be the magic carpet that Virginia needs to finally win a national championship. I just don't like watching that style of play. It is boring to me. It is a slog to me. I actually have a conspiracy theory that they purposefully put Cincinnati and Virginia in the same region knowing that they couldn't get both of those teams to the Final Four. At worst, they would have one of those teams to the Final Four playing a uh, a game that wasn't all that quite pretty, played in the 50s or so, when you know the all of the eyes of the nation were on it. So you're a big fan of the home run derby and 14-11 baseball <laughs> games and the NBA's All-Star game? I think, ba- I think baseball and basketball are different. I just I don't like watching college basketball when it's a muck it up, grind it up, first one to 50 wins. Yeah, I mean, that that's fair. I mean, different strokes for different folks. I kind of think that's what makes college basketball different than the NBA the best offensive teams in the NBA, you can't stop LeBron James. There, there's no defense for him. There's no defense for Steph Curry. In college basketball, since there are no super teams, you can win with varying styles. And I think Tony Bennett's style is a very effective one. Let's talk TCU because Jamie Dixon leaves Pitt and he goes to TCU and TCU is a dumpster fire. Pitt goes to the tournament regularly under him. He leaves Pitt goes winless in the ACC two years later, and TCU is a six seed running a tremendous offense in the Big 12, the toughest conference this year in America. Is Jamie yeah, I Dixon... Don't think, I don't think that's the toughest conference. I think the oh, okay. ACC is better. All right, interesting. Do you think it's the deepest, con- maybe the, the most competitive it, conference? Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I mean, the, the entire conference is either good or very good. I think the ACC had more top-end talent, Fair. and I think the the middle of the ACC I like better, too. But the bottom of the 
Big 12 was better. Jamie Dixon's a terrific coach. There's there's no other way around it. He did a great job at Pittsburgh. He is doing a great job at TCU. I think his team is overachieving. I don't think they have incredible talent. I think he's coached them up. Um, They're good. But they also could lose to Syracuse or Arizona State, though Syracuse, that is not a good matchup for the Orange, simply because... Jamie Dixon played against them so many times, so he knows how to deal with his own. Right, and the Horned Frogs can score, and oftentimes Syracuse cannot. Sometimes watching the Orange play offense is just awful. But, I mean, Jamie Dixon, do you think they got some seller's remorse at Pitt for, for forcing him out the door and then looking at them going, oh, for the season under Stallings? I mean, if they don't have seller's remorse, then they should all be fired, which they probably should be anyway. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, you let a really good coach go and essentially didn't replace him. Well, that didn't work out too well. And, and now what are they paying Stallings, like $9 million to leave? Yeah, just to go away. Yeah. What do you think about the Big East this year? It got two number one seeds, which I know it's not considered a mid-major conference, but it's not a conference that plays football. So this is a basketball-only conference. And they got respect out of the out of the committee having two number one seeds in it. And look, I mean, Xavier didn't even make the, the conference final game, uh, tournament game in the Big East. Do you think that Villanova, Xavier, and the other teams coming out of the Big East can do damage and the two number one seeds have a chance to go to the Final Four? Well, I, I would say two different answers. I think Villanova and Xavier are very, very good deserving of a number one seed, and can go to the Final Four. The rest of the conference, I do not have quite an affinity for, or not as uh, great a uh, a prospectus for them going forward. Um, I mean, Villanova and Xavier are very good. Who would you rather have as a number one seed? Do I think Duke is better than those teams? Yeah. Do I think they're more deserving? No, I mean, I, I think they are properly placed as number one seeds. Do I think they will both make the Final Four? No. Do I think either will make the Final Four? Maybe. I, they, they, they're very good. They're top ten programs. But I, I'm not in love with them. I mean, when Villanova shoots the way they did at Xavier two or three weeks ago, they're the best team in the country. I mean, they score 87 points a game. They drill threes. They don't turn the ball over. They shoot an incredibly high percentage. Like, they've got a lot to like. They're veteran. They're well-coached. They're deep. But the day that they're not shooting well, if it comes, they're certainly vulnerable. I mean, Xavier is made up a little bit in the same sort of way. Again, very high scoring, high shooting percentage. What I like about Xavier is they rebound. I mean, their win over Cincinnati early in the season was incredibly impressive. I mean, they were just far and away the better team. And I think Cincinnati and have thought Cincinnati has been very good the entire season. So at their best, those teams are Final Four national title teams. But it's a flawed year, and if one of them goes out early and neither make the Final Four, I don't think that would be a surprise at all. Yeah. You know who I think is really live is Miami. And I know that they're now with their full complement to players, but I love Larinaga. Lonnie Walker's really interesting. And I think they got a good draw. They're 6'11". I know Loyola, Chicago, they might be a little dangerous there. But if, if Miami is the six moves on, as you mentioned, they probably get Tennessee. And I think Tennessee's a little overvalued based on what they did in the SEC this year. I think they can win that game, and then they get a Cincinnati probably in the Sweet 16, and you know you figure out a way if you can score decent enough, and that's tough against Cincinnati, but I kind of feel like 
Miami could get a couple of wins in the tournament. How do you feel about the Hurricanes? Couldn't agree more. If you're looking at the five, six seeds, they're probably my favorite one. I think they got a great bracket. I think they're the best of the four teams in that little sub-regional. And then you get a Cincinnati team who, like I said, I have great affinity for, but they don't blow anybody out, which means Miami will be in the game. And Miami is deep, and they defend the three-point line. They don't turn the ball over. Yeah, I like them. Was it fair in your mind to make Arizona a four after they basically dominated the Pac-12 both halves uh, this season? Yeah, I think that's exactly what they are. I think they're properly seated. I mean, people are in love with DeAndre Aiden, and they should be. He's Shaquille O'Neal. He's an unbelievable prospect. But that doesn't make a team. Ben Simmons didn't go to the NCAA tournament at all. Arizona and Sean Miller have a problem. They actually have many problems. They have FBI problems, and they have guard problems, particularly lead guard problems. They have the stigma of not being able to get to the Final Four, and I I think they're vulnerable, D.A. Like, Arizona and Kentucky, everyone seems to think, like, Virginia has this really, really tough bracket, Virginia's a sum-of-the-parts team. Their group of players are better than their individuals. I think Arizona and Kentucky are the opposite. I think their individual players are going to be great NBA players. I don't think they're great teams. I much prefer the strength of the 4-5 and in the East, Wichita State and West Virginia, to the 4-5 and in the South, Kentucky and Arizona. Here's a low major we haven't talked about. Didn't come up in the 5-12 conversation. South Dakota State. They're at 12 taking on the five-seed Ohio State. South Dakota State, the Jackrabbits, they don't play anybody of note in their conference. But non-conference, they have wins over Iowa, Buffalo, Ole Miss, and, you know, they played pretty tight against some other teams that maybe they should have gotten drummed by. I mean, they, they stayed within single digits, I think, of Wichita State. I think ended up losing by 10 there. Do you think that maybe they could be live as a 12-seed? Yeah, they're certainly live, but... What I like to do when I find a upset is who is coaching the team that is supposed to win the game. And Chris Holtman is really good. And his team's going to be ready. They're, they're not going to get pushed around. They're not going to get jumped on early in the game. South Dakota State's got great experience. They've been in the tournament, I think, three straight years. Mike Dom's one of the highest scoring players, maybe the highest scoring player in the tournament. They can win. They're good. They've been good for several years. And you think of them as a high-scoring team, hits a lot of threes. They do that. They're also a really good defensive rebounding team. So it's not like Ohio State's going to get a million second-chance points. And that's really what Ohio State does. They, they're a very, very good rebounding team as well. I just don't think South Dakota State is sneaking up on anyone. I've seen Chris Holtman in the tournament before. He usually wins the games he's supposed to win. What was the biggest snub in your mind, the team that deserved in? Notre Dame. I mean, 
I think Notre Dame is one of the 68 best teams. I think Notre Dame is probably one of the 30 or 40 best teams. Mm. But the bottom line is they shouldn't have lost to Ball State. And it didn't help that they lost to Indiana. I mean, we can talk about the Colson injury, but they lost games that they shouldn't have lost before he got injured. That being said, the way they played in Maui at the beginning of the year, they looked like one of the five or ten best teams in the country. And I thought they looked good enough in the tournament that I, I would have liked to see them because I think they could have made a run. But in terms of who I wanted to be in, I wanted Middle Tennessee State and St. Mary's to be in. St. Mary's has Emmett Narr, who I think led the country in total assists this year. Jock Landale, who is an All-American in the middle. They passed the ball beautifully. If St. Mary's played Syracuse, they'd carve up the zone and they'd win going away. So <laughs> does that mean they're better? No, it doesn't mean they're better. It means that their style fits better. But as you and I discussed already, it's really hard for them to build a resume. All right, final question. I want it your final four. I actually have not filled out my final four yet because we're taping this immediately after Monday's show. I'm going to take tonight, go through the brackets, get to my final four, but what is your final four? Well, I'm going to give it to you, but I'm going to preface it by telling you how I fill out the bracket. The way I go about this process is I move teams as far as I'm reasonably comfortable they're going to get. So I think Purdue has the easiest eight-team regional of all of the teams. So I immediately pushed Purdue all the way to the Elite Eight. I just don't like the other teams in there. I think Kansas has a pretty easy bracket. I moved them all the way to the Sweet 16. I think it's possible Clemson could give them a game, but unlikely. So I kind of have Kansas sitting on that bracket line between the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. Then you look at a team like Villanova, I have them moved nowhere. I have them winning one game and then simply have the words open and very tough. I have no one in that eight-team sub-regional beyond winning one game right now because I think it's a toss-up between Wichita and West Virginia and Villanova. That's why in the East, I'll pick Purdue. They have far and away the easiest route to the Final Four. I really only think they're going to play one very difficult game. So they're going to be an underdog perhaps against Villanova, certainly against Villanova, maybe against West Virginia or Wichita, but they have the easiest way to get there. So I'll have Purdue out of the East. I don't see anything all that interesting in the Midwest. I essentially see the same thing everyone else does. There's Kansas, there's Michigan State, there's Duke, there's no one else that I love. That's not to say there aren't going to be upsets in the first two rounds, but, but when it comes down to, to going to San Antonio, I think it'll be one of those three teams. I think logically you should pick Kansas because they're going to have one fewer really difficult game. Playing at Clemson is not akin to playing Michigan State or Duke. I have watched these teams all year long. I am mesmerized by Duke's talent. They have maybe the best coach in the country. Whoever wins Michigan State and Duke will be a favorite over Kansas, I believe. I think Duke's the best team in that bracket. I have Duke advancing. In the South, I like Virginia's route. I like Cincinnati's route. I think they'll play in the Elite Eight. It's not nearly as simple as Purdue Kentucky and Arizona have more talent than Virginia. It's not good to play teams that have better players than you. I think Virginia's the better team. Down at the bottom of that bracket, you and I both like Miami. I sort of like Texas with Bomba healthy. I think they can win a game, maybe two. 
I think when Cincinnati plays Miami, Cincinnati's just a little bit tougher. I think it's Virginia and Cincinnati. I've been ultra-impressed with Virginia all year long. I think they played in the best conference. I hope that game goes to triple overtime and finishes 37-36. I love both of those teams. I would be incredibly happy if either won the national championship. I would pick Virginia. I wouldn't be happy about it. I'd probably pick Virginia to win the game, take Cincinnati plus the points. And then down in the West, I think there are a lot of options. Um, I like North Carolina. I think they're a little overseeded and a touch overrated based on what we've seen the last couple of weeks. I like Houston a lot. I like Michigan a lot. Uh, we talked about Xavier. I like them. But in the end, I think Gonzaga has the best basketball team in that region, and I would have them going. I, I, I really, really, really like John Beeline, though. I, I have a very hard time not picking Michigan, but I think they have an incredibly difficult path. Trying to beat Houston, North Carolina, and Xavier or Gonzaga, I think that's just really tough. So I would have Virginia, Gonzaga, Purdue, and Duke. Dave Friedman is the voice of the Winthrop Eagles. He is our college basketball bracketologist annually right here for your bracket breakdown. He's also Super Dave on the Olympic circuit. And right now, I think he probably is the biggest John Schuster fan in America. So you've got a lot of titles under your your name now. I, I think we should just thank the sports calendar for giving us a few weeks between the Olympics and the bracket coming out. I got a lot of rest, DA. I mean, we <laughs> needed it after the Olympics, after that curling excitement. I mean, we were kind of on cloud nine for a week or so after that, and we were up at all hours, and, and now the bracket comes out just I, I am really thankful that we had some days to rest up. It, it's kind of like getting that bye in, in the NFL playoffs. <laughs> you can get a little bit healthy. We've talked a lot about the Big Ten tournament being a week early. I think that's great. Good coaches aren't going to have teams that are sluggish out of the gate. I think Purdue and Michigan are situated beautifully. I'll tell you, I think we need in the sports abyss of February following the Super Bowl an annual international curling tournament. That way, we have two weeks to just focus on curling after the Super Bowl before March Madness. Couldn't agree more. Dave Friedman joining us here on the PGP. Dave, as always, thanks, buddy. Absolutely, DA. All right, thanks, my buddy, Dave Friedman, for joining us for his annual bracket breakdown. Love that. Love the inside scoop on the low majors, the mid-majors, and the passion with which Dave brings his opinions. Loves Gonzaga. So, I also want to bring John Rothstein and his prediction for his Final Four, since this is kind of a March Madness heavy, stuffed PGP. He joined us on Monday. Always interesting to get Rothstein's point of view. He's an insider for CBS Sports, bracketologist. Writes for FanRag Sports as well. But I wanted to know what his Final Four was. Rothstein always brings the noise. I've got the Spartans moving on out of the region of royalty. I've got Arizona out of the region of grit. The region of balance <laughs> has all sorts of potential combinations. It feels like we're at the blackjack table. When I am going to take John Beeline and Michigan wow. out of the region of balance. Two big tenors. Two big tenors. Both and Michigan then teams. I have the East region right now, and this is one thing that's very important because this matters. Where did Jay Wright play when he got to his first Final Four in 2009? Where did, oh, what city? I don't know. Boston. 
Where oh. are they playing this year? Okay. Boston. There is good karma for Villanova in Boston. As long as Villanova can get by the round of 32, and I think it will be Alabama, I like Villanova to get back to the Final Four, advancing out of the region of stewardship with the best compass in college basketball because he points the way better than anybody, Jalen Brunson. So I have Villanova, Michigan State, Michigan, and Arizona. Now, I have been on record in saying that this could be one of the more unpredictable NCAA tournaments that we have seen in recent memory. And for all intents and purposes, is I think it will, and what I when I looked at my bracket last night, I only saw one one seed in my final four, and that's what I think illustrates how wide open it is. So there you have it. As I mentioned before, I haven't picked my final four yet. We're taping this right after the show on Monday. I'm going to take Monday night, go through the brackets, go through the matchups, really see what I like here. So I'll bring you those picks on Tuesday morning on the show. That'll be before the obvious the Tuesday night, which is our first four games of the tournament. So. That's the PGP here on iTunes. You can find it on Facebook and on Twitter as well, DA on CBS or Facebook, facebook.com slash The DA Show. Remember to subscribe by going to iTunes, just clicking on subscribe when it comes to Permission Granted Podcast or The DA Show. That way, automatically, you'll get all of our content delivered to your phone or your computer. Have a great day, everybody. Have a great week, everybody. I will see you on the show throughout this week, breaking down March Madness, 9 until noon Eastern time. Here on CBS Sports Radio, for now, the Permission Granted Podcast has disconnected. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. See T-Mobile.com. 